Sun is shining and I thought I would start off with a bit of uh, Paul Simon. Um, I'm actually back in Wales um, with my mum. Um, <laughs> it all feels incredibly normal. Um, I'm looking out into a wonderful view across a lot of fields. Um, but at the same time, I am socially distancing from my mum and I had to eat breakfast um, using my own cutlery and um, wearing plastic gloves. So... Um, <laughs> It's we have to sort of laugh it off a little bit, but hopefully um, after a week or so I'll be able to uh, um, stop doing all this. But I thought I'd just um, podcast everything in, in, instead, um, and it's the best way of getting out um, things out to you because I realised that before um, there was something wrong in terms of uh, the number of people that could view, uh, sorry, listen to the actual. Um, uh, sound recording that I did. So I'm going to go from the start. I know Mr Green has done quite um, a fair bit in terms of um, public finances, but I'm going from the start um, in terms of um, public finances. And the first slide on that um, is what is the role of the state in the economy? So really, by the end of this um, section of the course, I just want you to actually think about your answer to that question. Um, I think it's a really uh, one of the biggest sort of bigger questions to think about um, in sort of national economics is thinking, well, how much should should the state intervene um, in the economy? How much should, should the state provide in terms of services? Um, and what's the best way in terms of funding um, that provision? So this is building on year 12 fiscal policy. Um, but I think in order for us to be able to access the year 13 content, it's important that we look back um, on the year 12 material uh, and in year 12 you basically covered um, the tools of fiscal policy so the idea of um, changes in government spending and taxation the aims of fiscal policy fiscal policy is really driven towards um, employment as, as it's one of its main aims and then growth sort of um, um, as a complement to that or, or as a, um, a consequence of that change in um, employment the transmission mechanism so uh, understanding that um you know changes in tax but what we're looking at is what kind of taxes so i think we just need to be a bit more specific now um from year 12 to year 13 is not just talking about oh if the government changes tax you know we need to refer to income tax vat corporation tax and and be specific in terms of our analysis of this and then in government spending we need to do the exact same thing so like what kind of spending are we seeing you know have we got examples of projects in the uk that are being undertaken um obviously maybe not so much this moment in time but things like hs2 um has been going on and crossrail as well some of the bigger sorts of government projects um and then also think about its um effectiveness so so why fiscal policy may not actually um <coughs> work that well it's you know it's reliant on um, confidence in the economy it's a reliant on having um a good mo multiplier in the economy it's um reliance um or it depends on the government's position in terms of their their budget um and we can look at sort of the ricardian equivalence which is this the idea that it's all very well spending a lot now but that means that taxes will be higher in the future and as a result of it then um people will be aware of that and their expectations obviously of taxations um will change and that will mean that their current spending patterns will change and actually they may not respond to any cuts in taxes at this moment in time so 
like I said, fiscal policy is really focused um, on um, the idea of uh, employment um, and growth, um, whereas monetary policy is focused on inflation and then it, by controlling inflation, they feel that they can control um, growth. Um, the other thing about the effectiveness um, is obviously looking at the Phillips curve as well and this trade-off between employment um, and inflation. Um, and it's a really nice way of evaluating, looking at the conflicts of um, objectives. Right, composition of government spending. So large, um, you can see a large proportion of the actual spending is on state pensions. Um, and when you've got an aging population um, like they have in Japan and maybe like they have in, in, in Italy, you know, it, it can take up quite a large proportion um, of your of your spending and becomes a real burden on the states. So they need to find out ways um, in terms of um, trying to um, yeah, fund 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 that spending. Um, you know, welfare it, it remains quite a, a, I'd say a small amount. Um, good, good. Please, that defence is less than um, education. Um, uh, healthcare again. You know, we we may sort of um, and rightly so. I think criticise the NHS that um, be critical that NHS funding is um, not really sufficient. Maybe. Um, at the uh, so at the moment or the last ten years, but there's still a lot of spending that goes on um the healthcare. And we're so lucky um to have um a state-run healthcare system, um and then interest rates. You know, if you think we are paying as much in interest as we are spending on defence in the economy, and when you put it into that context, it suddenly um changes things in a way that that composition of government spending is 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 a little bit meaningless unless we compare it to other economies around uh, around the world. Right, the sectors that have been most affected um, by um, government cuts. Now, if you can look at it um, in terms of the graph, really welfare spending um, is one of the, the one areas that has been um, quite significantly um, effective, uh, sorry, uh, uh, affected by it. Transport seems to be pretty strong. Education, um, again, it, it, it we yeah it's been bar bar welfare it's probably been the second most hit um area and then healthcare we're just not seeing the growth maybe in spending that we would um hope hope to see right the question and um, one of the things on the syllabus that to look at um and, and rightly so is what actually would cause the size or the composition of public expenditure to change okay so i want you just to pause um this podcast for a moment and i want you to try and note down maybe three or four things that would either change the composition so what we mean by the composition is how much is spent on education how much is spent on transport how much is, is spent on social protection but also what would change how much is spent overall um by the government Right. The reasons for um, the change in the size and composition of government spending are demographic factors. So um, I don't really want to go too, too much into detail um, with this. And I'd like you to try and develop these points. The <coughs> excuse me, um, the performance of the economy. So how well it's doing um, at the moment, the government budget position. So where they find themselves in terms of their finances, are they you know needing to cut back or are they um, able to spend more? Um, so I want you just to develop those three main factors on there and explain how that would affect the size or the composition of government spending. 
And out of those, then, I want you just to think about then what, which one do you think is the most significant factor? So in, in looking at significance questions, it's, it's actually effect, you, you are just evaluating um, the points of analysis. Right, there's quite a lot of um, key terms that you need to be aware of in public um, um, in, the, in, the, in this sort of this, this section on fiscal um, policy. Um, and the first lot are what is capital expenditure, what is current expenditure and what are transfer payments. So I just want you, I, th I would have thought you'd be quite comfortable with some of these. And even if you're not, you would be able to maybe make a sort of educated guess on a lot of them. So I just want you to have a little think and pause this for a second and just think um, what those three are. OK, right. Capital and current um, expenditure. The difference is is all about the time frame. So um, capital expenditure is normally um, looking at sort of long term expenditure on projects um, that have been sort of undertaken by the government um, to try and boost the capacity of the economy. Whereas current expenditure is your just day to day spending. So, you know, paying my wages as a um, as a teacher would be um, your current expenditure. Um, you know, providing um, equipment for the NHS is um, current expenditure. Anyone that works in the civil service, again, um, that would be current expenditure. So that's your sort of your day to day spending. And that's the difference in current and capital expenditure. Then transfer payments is just the way that the government um, try and redistribute money. So taking tax from uh, a group in society and maybe transferring that in the form of benefits to another group. Right, my slide, um, and I know Mr Greenwood touched upon this, was talking about the UK budget in 2019, um, but he talked about um, Rishi uh, Sunak's um, recent budget in 2020. I would like to, um, and I'm going to put on um, this, uh, when I upload this on Teams, a podcast that I just um, listened um, to, um, sort of looking at the response of um, the UK government in terms of their um, intervention um, following sort of the, the coronavirus outbreak. Um, it's um, really interesting trying to compare it to the global financial crisis and how us having the global financial crisis and the lessons we learned from that has meant maybe that we have been a bit more aggressive in terms of our intervention. Um, so not just looking really at the actual budget um, as such, but more... The, the more recent um, um, support that the government has provided for those people that may find themselves unemployed or um, um, those people that are self-employed. Right, in terms of government spending as a percentage of income, as you can see from the, the graph, UK government spending as a percentage of income has, um, sorry, as a percentage of G GDP um, has fallen since 2010. Um, so it rose uh, initially from 2010 to 2011 and then it start, uh, has started to fall. And you may think, you know, the fall is, you know, maybe by four or five percent. That is a significant um, uh, amount um, when we're talking about how much the, um, of GDP that is. Obviously, you know, this will start to <laughs> rise again probably this this year and, and increase again and right, rightly so. Right, we just need to, the task then is looking at now the costs and benefits of um, public spending. So um, I just want you to have a think about, is greater public spending always a good thing for the economy and can it actually bring some costs to it? So we always, um, you know, try and support 
government spending, government intervention. But we need to sort of be sort of mindful that um, there are some costs that come with it. So I just want you on a scrap piece of paper to just maybe note down sort of two or three of the benefits of government spending and then two or three of the potential costs of government spending and just pause this podcast for a moment. Right, the main benefits um, of government spending. Obviously, government spending is an ejection to the circular flow of income and it creates a multiplier effect. Um, we can talk about um, the idea that some of the spending will be on longer term projects that would uh, increase the, the potential of the economy in terms of aggregate supply. Um, it can reduce poverty and inequality, which is um, arguably one of the other objectives of um, the government or ma other macroeconomic objectives. Um, and in, in producing, uh, sorry, improving our international competitiveness is the, the fourth one to, to look at. In terms of costs, you've got this conflict um, between growth and inflation. Um, the idea that obviously the budget deficit um, will increase and, and debt may increase and the impact that has on future generations. Um, inefficiency of spending, don't always assume that when the government does spend money, it's done in the most efficient um, way, um, particularly sometimes with the lack of profit motive and um, the maybe the research or information gaps that exist um, in terms of where best to spend in an economy. Um, again, higher taxes in the future sort of links to the second point on there about impacting future generations um, and in crowding out private sector investment. So the idea that the government um, spends more um, or through borrowing means that effectively it reduces um, or increases the, the, the demand of money in the banks or and reduces the supply of money in the financial sector, which would then increase the interest rate going to the, uh, the private firms, meaning that um, they are disincentivized to actually take out loans. So that there's a big argument to say, uh, crowding out, that the more the government spends and borrows, the less money is available effectively for the private sector to borrow from these um, uh, financial, financial institutions. Right, um, so crowding out, um, I'm gonna go into this in a bit more detail because I, I think we need to all be aware of this. But what I'd like you to do is to draw a supply and demand diagram to show how crowding out actually ends up working. And I want you to think about what happens to the interest rate in for these financial institutions. And as a result of the interest rate change, what happens to private sector investment? Um, and then crowding out can be evaluated by crowding in. So this is the idea that if the government actually spends more, it's boosting the economy. And in doing so, sort of creating an accelerator effect whereby um, firms are seeing this injection and thinking that the economy is going to pick up and they start investing and producing more in the in the anticipation that demand is also going to increase. Right, the next topic is the impact of austerity. Um, austerity is all about um, measures to cut public um, expenditure. So I want you to think about the impact of, of austerity on in terms of the impact it will have on productivity, the impact it will have on growth, the impact that it will have on equality, 
the impact that it will have on crowding out and the impact it will have on future tax rates. So just pause this podcast for a moment. And all I want you to do is just, again, on a scrap piece of paper, is just to think, well, what would be the impact on each one of those? And I think some of them maybe, you know, you could argue either way. So don't think that the the impact is just sort of um, one way. Right, just to add some sort of historical context um, into this. So rather than just looking at the last sort of 10 years, let's look at um, what's happened sort of over the last near to 100 years in terms of public sector um, spending. Now, you can see the top left graph um, obviously went in line with um, the war and you can see a big increase in um, government spending. Um, total receipts in terms of um, <laughs> the receipts from it was actually quite impressive and um, <clears throat> it's quite odd to think that, you know, during war- wartime or, um, you know, government actually tax uh, receipts went up um, during this period. Um, but it is obviously a percentage of GDP, so that may be one of the factors um, in uh, looking at that. Now, if you look at it sort of recently, there probably is the argument to say that um, total receipts of taxation sort of from 95 to um, 2020 haven't been as high as they have been in the past. So there's the argument probably to say there's a portion of GDP um, the government needs to be a bit, <coughs> I would say, <coughs> stronger in terms of um, their tax um, collection enforcement. Um, and this will largely be, I wouldn't say through income tax, it will largely be corporation tax um, where they are missing out on this. And it's probably been it's become a lot easier for firms to dodge um, taxes, you know, in the last 10 years than it was maybe 30 or 40 years ago. And in terms of net um, public sector net borrowing, um, we can see in more recent times the net, the net borrowing has reduced um, quite significantly since sort of 2008 or nine. But we have had these periods and it does fall in line with a lot of the um, recessions that we have seen um, you know, in all honesty, like they normally economists say that every 10 years there tends to be some form of recession. And if you go back to it, we had the 2008 global financial crisis. We had the 2001 dot-com bubble in 1990. Um, there was um, uh, 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 in the 1990s there was another crisis as well. So we in many ways we are due um, a, a crisis. Um, and, you know, we will go through the same sort of um, pattern whereby um, public sector net bond is going to increase over the next year or so. Um, and then that will dwindle again as they sort of maybe um, cut back or find ways of funding um, that borrowing. And then public sector net debt, um, <clears throat> I think it's really important for us to understand that, you know, where we are is not in a terrible position historically. And we have been in much worse um um, worst position and we only need to go back to we are the equivalent now than we were in maybe uh, you know in the mid 1960s um, and that's the current position that we are in the great thing about the the government from the you know what I see is that they are really not necessarily I'm not say not caring about the deficit or debt at this moment in time but they are doing everything that they can to try and support the economy and the knowledge that if they um, don't support it now 
that this recession, sorry, this pandemic could have a knock-on effect on the economy for the next three, four, five, if you know, if if not um, more years. And what they want to do is just like aggressively support it now so that when the pandemic goes and the virus goes, the economy will just completely um, kickstart again and we won't see any long term effects of it. So, yeah, fingers crossed in terms of that. Right. Taxation, a little task for you to have a think about. Um, There are three different types of taxes. There are progressive taxes, there are proportional taxes and there are regressive taxes. So what I'd like you to do is... um, Try and just come up with a definition for each of them and why they are different. And in doing so, I want you to also just analyse um, in um, tax receipts by the um, government on the left hand side. So income tax is probably the, the main form um, of um, tax receipts um, that or sorry, the main form of um, income sorry, that the government gets um, followed them by. VAT and be be aware that VAT um didn't really exist um until sort of Margaret Thatcher was the person behind this idea of sort of um VAT um and it didn't really exist before but to think that VAT collects a lot more than you know of that much more than corporation tax um it is showing how we've have we've switched sort of maybe our taxation policies over the last thirty or forty years right. So it answers to the question, progressive tax is as income rises, um, the proportion of tax paid also increases. Proportional as income increases, the proportion of income paid as tax remains constant. So that would be like to say that income tax is just 30% for everyone. And the regressive tax is that as income increases, the proportion of income paid as tax decreases. So composition of tax receipts, I, I did touch upon it um, before Um but you can see that income tax is the main source of revenue for um, the government. <coughs> um, and and maybe there's an argument to say that they need to probably um, get some of um, the, you know, the corporation tax and maybe the wealth tax as well. It's just ca- tax on capital. It's the yellow line right at the bottom showing how little income they get from that. And that is like taxes on assets effectively so there, there is there are big calls by thomas Piketty and when we covered inequality about trying to increase um the amount of um or it will have more of an emphasis on wealth tax but that really needs to be done on a international level rather than a national level um for it to be effective and then income group it's really interesting that um this because e i think a lot of people think that it's um you know th- think that it will the, the tax base or the tax revenue largely comes from the lower income um groups or maybe middle income groups but it's actually the upper income groups are the ones that pay quite um a large proportion of taxes so you can see that the share of it, uh, of in, uh, income um of income taxpayers 11.8% um, in the top 1% who um actually contribute twenty seven percent of income tax to um the government, so they are contributing um quite a lot and and as much as i'm <laughs> one for more equality I, I think in this situation you do have to sort of uh, acknowledge and recognize that the um 
top rate of uh, income earners are paying their fair share of income tax it's probably um if we're going to be critical it's the it's the bigger firms um that aren't paying their fair share of corporation tax right just want you to think about the economic effects of taxation um so we've got indirect taxes and direct taxes so direct taxes pay, um are paid directly by the taxpayer so this could be income tax corporate corporate tax inheritance tax stamp duty when you buy a house you have to just pay it directly um to um to to the government and the indirect taxes are taxes sort of through the suppliers of goods so vat custom duties um is an indirect tax um as well so i want you just to have a think about both direct and indirect taxes so take thinking um taking that into account as well what is the impact of the an increase in either of these taxes or both of these taxes on incentives to work on income distribution on overall output and that's output maybe of um a firm employment inflation the trade balance foreign direct investment and tax revenue so i've given you some some sort of um some areas and channels to look at so i want you just to pause this podcast for a moment and have a good think about how direct taxes and indirect taxes will affect each one of these variables Right, I'd like to introduce you to um, the Laffer Curve. So this was designed by Arthur Laffer. Um, it um, <laughs> remains on the syllabus um, and sort of is important. And I can, can see the um, the arguments behind this as a... Um, sorry, I can see the logic behind this. Um, but just to give you um, some background to this, um, what I want you to be aware. Of, yeah, no, actually, before I say this, I want I'm going to show you the Laffer curve and, and what it looks like. So on the y axis, you've got tax revenue on the x axis. You've got tax rates. That's looking at sort of um, the percentage of income that you pay in um, tax. So I want you to just try and explain why. When you initially start increasing tax up until an optimal rate, does tax revenue increase? And then if you increase it any further, does tax revenue actually fall? And then on the right hand, bottom right hand side, this was the original um, uh, drawing by Arthur Laffer, who just changed, basically um, rotated it <laughs> the, the other way um, to put his argument forward as to why um, taxes need to be at a certain level. So stop for a moment. And just try and explain sort of the economic theory behind this um, idea of the Laffer curve. Right. OK, so um, Arthur Laffer um, was um, a economic advisor to um, alongside Dick Cheney. So Dick Cheney, if you've seen, um, I need to just have a look at. There's a very good film I saw. No, I can't find it. Um, I've got a feeling Vice is 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 is, but it's um from the makers of the Big Short. I think it was um made this film about Dick Cheney, who was this sort of U.S. politician, um and uh, George Bush, who sort of um made it to the top without really being um. 
having sort of any level of intelligence, but just knew his way to get to the top and was a bit of a bully. Um, and they had a... They had to present to sort of um, the... I can't remember who it was. Maybe, to, you know, in um, to, to a sort of a public gathering. They had to present an argument as to why they were reducing taxes on the rich. And they ha- I think they sat down and had this discussion literally 15 minutes before. And Arthur Laffer came up on a, with a, on a napkin, which is what the picture was, with this graph to say, well, actually, can we sell it this way? Um, so I can see a little bit of logic behind it, but it is literally an <laughs> something that they just wrote down at that moment in time and came up with, with no evidence in terms of empirical evidence to support this. Um, and yeah, they put forward the argument, should we actually be letting people keep their earnings and encourage them to work um, and firms to invest more of their income? So the... <coughs> He, they talked about this prohibitive range of tax. So bearing in mind, taxes were quite hard uh, at this, uh, sorry, quite high at this um, moment in time. Um, so, you, you know, it is sort of um, Margaret Thatcher, start of Margaret Thatcher's um, ray, uh, reign. You've got um, um, when she was in power, Ronald Reagan as well, um, and the rise of Reaganomics. Um, and they talked about this idea that, you know, if we tax people too much, we're going to acquire a disincentive to work. We are going to encourage people to evade and avoid taxes. And we're going to lose some of our high income earners who are just going to move to uh, another country. And that was their argument to start reducing uh, the amount of tax. And actually, they thought that by reducing the tax, they're actually going to increase revenue for um, the government. Now, I found this in The Economist, looking at the top um, um, marginal income tax rate. Um, it's, they, talk, they tried to find an estimated elaphicum. In a way, I, I, this is the way I thought about it, it's a bit like income elasticity of tax revenue. So, um, looking at how responsive is tax revenue to a change in, in income tax Um uh, and that's what it's really looking at. And I'm sure there's actually some quite interesting maths sort of um, behind it. But trying to find sort of where the optimal rate actually lies in terms of where we as a government. And this is sort of looking at sort of the average maybe tax rate in the economy. Um, but where we as a government should be um, taxing people. So in France, you know, it, it showed sort of the top rate of marginal taxes. So this is for the higher income bracket was around sort of um, 75% and they felt that was um, optimal anymore. It would mean that revenue had fallen. Um, you, um, in the US, it's just below 50%, but the optimal rate um, could be around sort of um, 75% um, for these uh, for, for, for that country where Sweden sort of is overtaxing um, uh, and actually could, if it reduced taxes, could actually get more revenue. Right, some other key terms in terms of public sector um, finances. So automatic stabilisers, I'm sure you've come across that term um, quite a lot. I just want you to think about what that is. And if not, I want you just to pause this podcast and um, do some research on what an automatic stabiliser is. Discretionary fiscal policy is another term. Um, fiscal deficit and national debt and the difference between the two. A structural deficit and a cyclical deficit and the difference between those two. So 
try and pause the podcast for a moment, use a scrap piece of paper. And if you don't know it, I'd like you actually probably just to do a little bit of research online for the next five minutes, just finding out what these things are before um, you just press play and go through them. Right, an automatic stabiliser. Okay, so try and think about it. Stabilising the economy is, is, is the idea. So it's trying to prevent um, the fluctuations in the business cycle um, to not be too um, too much so what that means is when the economy is doing really well you've got a progressive tax system in place to ensure that it can't do too well so everyone's income is going up but as everyone's income is going up they're having to contribute more towards the government so that will reduce the sort of um, the boom of the um, economic cycle and then when everyone does badly um, it's not going to do too badly because there's a welfare system in place to ensure that the people that don't have any income and lose their jobs do actually have some form of income through the benefit system. And those people that have a lower le level of income drop to a lower tax bracket uh, and therefore um, don't lose that much of a proportion of their income. So the automatic stabiliser is just reducing the fluctuations in the business cycle so that the booms aren't too much of a boom and the uh, um, the bus aren't too much of uh, a bus. And that's just how a sort of progressive tax system and a welfare system works um, and, and is in place to ensure that happens. Discretionary fiscal policy then um, is different. It's, in, it's sort of intentional government policies to increase or decrease government spending. So it could be something whereby it's changing the level of um, taxation, or it could be the government's deciding to spend much more on the NHS or much more on education. So it's actual, whereas the automatic stabilisers is sort of what's in place and how the uh, economy um, progresses through what's in place. Discretion is like, actually, we are going to change something. So we're going to actively um, change some form of government policy. Fiscal deficit then is looking at um, government spending and tax revenue in a given year, whereas national debt is, the, debt is an accumulation of all these fiscal deficits over time. Structural deficit is um, when you actually find yourself in a deficit, even though you're doing well as an economy. And basically it means that there is something structurally wrong with your economy in terms of maybe the tax system you've got in place or the amount of money that um, you are spending on the economy. So we as a UK are in a structural deficit whereby even if we did well, let's say for the next 10 years, um, we would still find ourselves, um, oh, no, sorry, we may still find ourselves in um, deficit. Where cyclical deficit, which is not really much of an issue, is just basically saying, well, actually, you know, in times of war, when the economy is not doing well, you know, you're, you're going to be spending more than you're receiving in tax revenue. Or when there is an economic recession, you're going to be spending more when, um, than you're receiving in tax revenue. But when that is over, that's um, when things are going to improve. So just a little bit of analysis on the next slide in terms of the UK fiscal deficit. Um, borrowing, again, like I said, um, did increase quite significantly um, around the financial crisis. And then it started um, to fall. Um, and, you know, we're nearly at the point where hopefully that deficit, um, well, <laughs> if this didn't happen this year, that deficit um, wouldn't necessarily um, exist for, well, we maybe exist for another year um, or so. And then national debt is looking at um, the accumulation of those deficits over time. Um, and as you can see, again, up until sort of um, 
the you know 2008 increased maybe slightly um but then you've got a sharp rise um following um the global financial um crisis and the impact that has had so i just want you to think about then what are the determinants of a fiscal deficit and of national debt so what are the factors that will influence maybe the size of your deficit or whether you're in a deficit and the size of your national debt. So pause for a moment um, and just make a note maybe of two or three or three or four factors which you think may cause a country to run a fiscal deficit or have um, a large amount of national debt. Right, the four main factors um, are, it could be a case of being... Um, Cyclical. So one one of the uh, factors where you've got um, fiscal deficit is that you are just not collecting um, much um, revenue in terms of tax and you're having to spend more in terms of your welfare um, payments, which is just your automatic stabiliser being in place. Um, so that can be one of the factors. The second one could be structural, that you've got um, poor methods of tax collection, that you've got changes in your demographic, which is, means that you are you know, spending a lot on state pensions and maybe healthcare, um, that you've got issues in terms of poverty and inequality and too many people at the bottom that you are supporting. Um, political influence. So again, you've got your discretionary um, spending. Now, what I mean by that political influence is maybe just the sort of um, the... The sort of the economic thought of um, um, the or economic sort of stance um, of the government, whether they are you know pro um, spending and putting a lot of money into um, public services, or whether they are you know about re reducing the size of the state and increasing the size of the private um, sector. So I want you to try and elaborate on each of those points in your own notes to try and explain how each of those factors does affect the fiscal deficit and um, the debt. Right, austerity. Um, this um, this um, you know, is a big debate following the global financial crisis. Um, and the analogy, I remember um, this, um, the analogy that was used um, by um, George Osborne was just like a household. So he tried to make this personal uh, and make it to the person. So just like the household, if you spend more than you receive, you have to start to tighten your belt. So he was saying that, well, actually, we were all in as households in a bad position um, in terms of we were borrowing um, to spend a lot. Um, and money that we couldn't necessarily pay back. So if the government acted responsibly, then the households would act responsibly. So <laughs> my question is, is this actually a fair uh, 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 analogy? Um, so what I would like you to do, um, and really just plan this in five minutes maybe, and it's a really good question. I remember seeing this in the exam and thinking that is a Good but tough question. So it said, evaluate the view that governments should reduce budget deficits by cutting public expenditure. So it's not saying should they reduce um, budget deficits, but should they do it by cutting public expenditure? Is that the best way of doing it? Now, the alternative to cutting public expenditure of reducing a budget deficit is to increase taxes. So I want you just to th have a think about, is it best to cut public expenditure? Or is it best to increase taxes and keep public expenditure 
um, the same. Now, arguably, in the UK, the government went for um, the idea of cutting public expenditure. That was the, the, the way they went. They didn't really do much in terms of um, uh, increasing uh, government spend... Um, sorry, increasing... Um, uh, tax tax levels across the economy. So for five or ten minutes, I really want you to think about just planning two points of analysis, two points of evaluation in answer to this question. It's a really challenging question, okay? And I do want you to not just sort of give up straight away, but to try and come up with two points of analysis and two points of evaluation. So pause this, pause this for now and just plan an answer to that question. Right, there's a wonderful article um called the austerity delusion by paul krugman it's a long read in the guardian um i kind of don't expect you to read it all but in a way i'd love you to read it all um and it just puts into context exactly what was going through the government's minds and sort of you know a sort of timeline of what happened in um the uk um and if you do read it, I'd like you to sort of write down some of the main arguments for and against austerity. So as you're reading through it, I'd like you to sort of draw up a table and think, right, arguments for austerity, arguments against austerity. You know, I will say that this is, you know, slightly biased. Paul Krugman um, was, a, um, you know, was very critical of the government um, adopting this as a, a policy of austerity. Um, so he is looking at it from one point of view, but he's also trying to put forward the government's arguments as to why um, they did it. So I'd like you to sort of give that a go and have a think about in your own mind, you know, what do you think was the right thing to do um, in that situation? Right. Um, so hopefully you've had a read of the article um, and the next thing um, we just need to think about. And I'd like you to sort of develop each of these points, look at the costs and benefits of austerity. So the cost of austerity is that you get lower economic growth, um, you get the reduced productive potential of the economy, anything basically that is um, the or the consequences of um, cutting expenditure. Um, incomes, average incomes are going down in the economy as sort of economic growth is stalling. And that means you're going to get lower tax revenues um, going forward. If people aren't, uh, if incomes are going down, people aren't spending, then you're going to get um, lower profits from firms as well and potentially creating unemployment therefore your tax base the number of people that you can collect taxes from is going to fall the benefits are that um it allows the budget deficit to fall um and um for future generations um standards of living to sort of stay intact um creates confidence in the long-term um, outcomes of the economy so it's saying to the markets you know we are being responsible in terms of how we're spending um and, and in doing so, gives and taints the public as well. We're being responsible so that um, people have confidence in the economy and maybe continue to sort of um, spend and invest. It reduces crowding out um, and it lowers um, interest payments, um, which are an opportunity cost. So I said before, like we are spending the exact same amount on interest, pay, uh, interest payments on our debt as we are on uh, spending on um, total sort of total spending on the defence sector. Right. One thing I want you to have to think about is trying to link theme one and theme four together, which is looking at macroeconomic policies and government failure. Um, so don't just think that state intervention is perfect um, and works in um, a really good way. But I want you to think about why can government failure arise 
in setting macroeconomic policies, you know, in looking at um, fiscal policy. So try and have it sort of stop this podcast for a moment and try and have a little think about why government failure can arise in setting macroeconomic policies. Right. The three main reasons um, that we can get government failure is that we the government may get inaccurate information. Um, so one example of this was that the reason they adopted austerity was um, Cam, Cam Reinhardt and Kenneth Rogoff came up with, who were really two famous economists, um, came up with this paper um, to say, well, actually, you know, if you go above 90% of GDP in terms of your government debt, then effectively your um growth your future levels of growth are just going to slow and that was like the the threshold that all their paper completely was driven towards on the back of that then the u.s government and uk um government responded um basically on on the back of the paper it's a bit like the government's response to um the paper by imperial college that they just literally took it as given um and um and um built policy around it then they found out that there was quite a few statistical errors with the paper um, and um, other economists you know um, analyzed the paper and said that actually some of these numbers are wrong um, it was and it was their sort of um, an argument that could have been used in a given period of time but wasn't necessarily applicable to this situation um, and the government you know it, they just necessarily weren't given the right information and the whole paper was really sort of judged to be flawed and they built austerity on the back of it. So good example um, of it. In terms of uncertainty in forecasting, um, we know governments don't know what's going to happen in the future. Um, so it's really hard for them um, to try and forecast what their deficit will be. It's a great example. You know, they forecasted deficits to sort of end by 2016-17 and for us to be in some sort of neutral position by then and you know they just put kept putting it back a year another year and another year um and then you've got external um shocks you know you just don't know what's going to come around the corner brexit came a few years ago and that was another external shock just as the economy was trying to pick up now you've got this um again just as the economy is trying to pick up so you cannot foresee um maybe what's going to happen um going forward right that is me done with, okay? Um, I just thought I would share some of the main 25 mark questions in relation to um, um, this part of the unit. So some of these questions are quite similar and it's quite important for you to then recognise that if you can answer some of these questions and just plan them, you're putting yourself in a good position should they um, come up again. So I'd like you, if you can, if you have enough time to try and plan each one of these questions, including the question near the 25 marker that we looked at before. So first one is governments in several countries, including the UK, Spain, Ireland and Hungary, have increased their indirect um, tax rates in recent years. Assess the likely economic effects of such tax increases in a country of your choice. So basically saying what the impact of this increase in indirect taxes on the economy. Again, two points of analysis, two points of evaluation, but try and make that contextual. Um, assess the view that the government is better to cut government spending rather than raising tax in order to improve the government finances. Um, effectively, that's the same question as um, we looked at before. And evaluate the view that governments um, should reduce uh, budget deficits by cutting public expenditure. Um, again, it, it's a similar question. So you can notice that that kind of question it comes has come up quite a few times 
in the past and is it's i think it's a really challenging question but one definitely worth looking at and planning um because if it if you do get it right it like you'll look very good um um and when and and sort of really takes into account everything that's covered in the unit 